It's October 15th, 2020, and you're listening to Zero Politics. Hello, my friends. This is Zero Politics. Again, this show is basically a summation of October 14th and 15th uh, together uh, because I started recording the show yesterday. And for various reasons, I stopped and then I continued it today. So I'm just going to jump right into what I was talking about yesterday. I think the first thing I talked about was a clip from Sean Hannity. (sighs) Let's play a little clip here from the Sean Hannity show. Not one of my favorite shows. Really, this guy annoys me to death. You know, when when I have to watch him, and I do, I have to watch him sometimes. But he just, ooh, he annoys me. But let's listen to what he has to say here. Uh, I just have to find this clip. It's kind of interesting because, okay, I'm playing it because I heard it on his show, but it doesn't come from his show. Uh, The clips are from the Amy Coney Barrett hearing. And I just want to play this because some of my friends in Europe probably haven't heard it. And it's funny because it's questions that people are asking Amy Coney Barrett during her hearing to be approved by the Senate to sit on the United States Supreme Court. So they are asking her, you know, really important questions about the law and about her views on, um, uh, well, her personal views don't really matter, but they still ask her about her views on various subjects and um, her understanding of various legal matters. Uh, Just take a listen to what's really important to some of these senators. Are committed before me to take positions on cases that the court has decided in the past. Since you became a legal adult, have you ever made unwanted requests for sexual favors or committed any verbal or physical <laughs> harassment or assault of a sexual nature? No, I Senator Hirono. Have you ever faced discipline or entered into a settlement related to this kind of conduct? Amy Coney Barrett, are you a pedophile? I want to just ask you very simply, and I I imagine you'll give me a very short, resolute answer. Um, But you condemn white supremacy, correct? Yes. Interesting question. Thank you. I'm glad to see that you said that. I wish our president uh, would say that so resolutely and unequivocally as well. Okay, this guy is so full of shit. He he asked her that question to make a political point, obviously. He did not ask her that question because he's actually interested in how she would answer it. He doesn't give a flying fuck if she... First of all, he knows she condemns white supremacy, okay? 99.99999% of Americans do. I think there's like a, a few dozen white supremacist KKK members somewhere in Alabama somewhere, maybe Georgia, I don't know. But apart from that, there are no racist, I mean, no white supremacist types in America. There, there's some identitarians floating around. In fact, one guy who is probably the most known white supremacist, quote unquote, although technically I think he would call himself an identitarian, and the identitarians don't actually believe that one race is superior to the other per se. What they teach is that uh, the races, because of cultural differences or something, should be separated. I don't know. It's it's BS. It's but it's called identitarianism, and it's ludicrous. And 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 they're against the idea of people blending together and interracial uh, marriage and all of that. But anyways, Richard Spencer is one of the most famous quote unquote white supremacists in the country. And take a guess who he backs for president, who he has endorsed. Richard Spencer, the racist. Joe Biden, the Democrat. Interesting, huh? It's because most of the last remaining um, uh, white supremacists in the U.S. 
are, in keeping with who they were historically, one, Democrats, two, socialist Democrats, um, and very heavy, I guess you would call them labor socialists, and um, they are, they've always been on that side of the aisle. Uh, it's just that um, at some point you had David Duke, who was a well-known KKK uh, leader, uh, at some point begin to come out and start um, advocating or backing Republicans for office for some reason. I, I, I personally think, I don't know what was up with that, because he was a Democrat, you know, um, most of his life and advocated and backed Democrats, but then he switched over and started advocating for Republicans. And I'm not sure why something tells me maybe he was involved in some government operation that he was hooked in with the FBI or CIA at some level. I don't know. Can't prove that. And it doesn't really matter. It's just a fun conspiracy theory. But the truth is David Duke, no one pays attention to him anymore. And, uh, uh, Trump, by the way, is on the record over and over again. Um, having uh, denounced uh, that uh, David Duke. And so I'm going to place a clip for you. I'm going to pull up this video. It's here on YouTube in my history. I was watching it earlier because I was really looking for the best video to put to rest this idea that Trump has not condemned white supremacy because this still goes around every day, every day. So it came up in the debate and then it was debunked. And then, um, and by the way, I'm not a supporter of Donald Trump. If you're listening for the first time, not, I don't support him, not going to vote for him. But what I'm interested in, you know, I just realized I didn't even introduce the show. This show is a critical thinking course for politics. It's not interested in left versus right. It's not interested in Republicans versus Democrats. I'm not here to even talk about my own personal views, although they come up a little bit here and there. I'm not here to advocate for my own personal views. I'm just here to deconstruct the political arguments and the political propaganda being spread and being used by both parties. So whether it's Republican, Democrat, and even some of the third parties. But I, I do say, I would say I, I endorse some of the third parties more than the Democrats or the Republicans. So this show basically is a deconstruction of partisans and the press and politicians looking at what they say analytically through the lens of logical fallacies and so on, and then uh, presenting that information through time, hopefully helping people to just gain critical thinking skills so that when they're watching politicians speak or news media present, they will be able to um, very quickly discern the, the manipulation tricks that are being used on them, the propaganda um, and we'll be able to catch logical fallacies as they are presented because the news media and the, the politicians, they're using logical fallacies all the time. They're always breaking rules of logic in their argumentation, which means that what they're saying is incorrect in some way. And, and it's not always true, but very often they are incorrect in what they're saying. So they're, they're um, espousing ideas that actually are not backed up by the facts, they're not backed up by rational, logical arguments, and they're fallacious. And it's important for be people to be able to catch those things right away because a lot of times what happens is that uh, they f fly under the radar or people don't realize uh, the, the gross irrationality that's uh, behind a lot of the things that are said uh, in the news media and by politicians. And as a result, they don't realize they're being manipulated and they're being lied to, and much of what they're allowing themselves to take in all day long 
people who are, you know, especially political junkies, is just pure propaganda. So having said that, one of the clear, one of the clearest examples of propaganda, political propaganda today, is the repetition of this idea that Trump has not condemned white supremacy, when in fact, literally, he's done it more than any other president in history. Without any doubt, he's done it. And now some people will look, think back, well, what about those who fought against slavery? You know, like Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, but Abraham Lincoln was still a white supremacist in the sense that he actually believed that the white people, maybe not inherently or genetically, but at least socially, were superior to the African-Americans. So he wouldn't even, he would, if someone asked him, will you denounce white supremacy? He would probably say, well, what are you talking about? What, I mean, yeah, they're humans, but they're not on the same level as the white people, at least culturally. And what I mean by culturally is, is in terms of their education and so on. And at that time, it was very common for people to think that was one of the reasons why we had the separation of um, the races and schools and so on for so long in America was because many people, they just, they, they said, well, we can't bring the two together because they are so, in terms of education, so vastly different that it would make mixed education difficult. So if you had a class of mixed students, you would have African-American students coming from families with such a low educational background that it would be, you couldn't really teach the students on the same level. Now, and, and practically speaking, that's actually true. Uh, not that I would have ever espoused or not that I'm backing the idea of segregation. But you can see that at that time there was this, because of slavery, which was obviously evil and horrific, you can see why it created so many problems in terms of then trying to reintegrate um, African-Americans into, um, I guess, white society, you could call it. So these problems really existed for a long time. And even during that time, you didn't have people denouncing white supremacy. You, didn't, you really never had this even come up until really in the 70s or 80s. And, and it, which, when you think about it, in some ways is kind of sad. It's quite sad, but it is what it is. And so now, especially since a lot of the David Duke and some of the white supremacists switched uh, over to the Republican side and started backing Republicans, the Republicans who had freed the slaves and injured segregation and uh, passed the uh, equal uh, rights laws and so on, not without any Democrat support, that's not what I'm saying, but by and large, those movements were led by Republicans. And so then in the 70s and 80s, you had Jesse Jackson and others switch over, start defending and supporting Democrats, and then you had David Duke and others then respond to that by coming out and supporting Republicans, which was really weird, I think. So anyways, Trump has denounced white supremacy more than any other president in the United States, including Barack Obama. Barack Obama didn't have a chance to. They, they didn't ask him those sorts of questions, obviously. So, um, I mean, his very existence as president, as an African-American man, as president, was a denunciation of white supremacy in America. So one could say his acting as president, his being president in and of itself, was a more powerful denunciation of white supremacy in America than anything Trump could say, which I think is a, you know, that's a good argument to put forward. But it's irrelevant to, to what I'm getting at here, which is 
Trump has denounced white supremacy over and over again, and I want to, for the last time, put it to rest. I found a great video. It's called A-Plus Compilation of Trump's Denouncing Racism. So I'm going to play it. Have you ever heard this president say one negative thing about white supremacists? Have you ever heard it? Oh, I love, I, I love this. They start out by um, clipping uh, Biden, who says, have you ever heard it? Have you ever heard him say one thing? Have you ever heard him once utter an anti-racist comment, uh, a, uh, a comment or a denunciation or anything that is against white supremacy or against racism? I mean, look at, listen to the statement he's making. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? Because he's claiming that Trump has never said anything against white supremacy, which is utterly false. He's been, and you're about to hear it if you didn't already know, he has so many times stood in front of everyone at the State of the Union addresses, at the, um, after the Charlottesville um, uh, riots and then and, and the, the attacks and the various things that happened there at that rally or after the rally. So many occasions where he's done it and you're about to hear it. And it's just to hear Biden, and this is what I say, this is total propaganda. It's such a lie. It's amazing to me. And But they know that if they repeat it over and over and over again, people will believe it. And their hope is that the people who don't pay attention to politics, who are just kind of, you know, on the fence as far as actually paying any real attention and doing any analysis on their own, those people... They will, they will just hear this and they'll just run with it and they'll they'll just soak drink it up like Kool-Aid uh, right along with the poison. So Have let's you listen heard again. Have this president say one negative thing about white supremacists? Have you ever heard it? I totally disavow the Ku Klux Klan. I totally disavow David Duke. You wouldn't even condemn David Duke for God's sake. Well, you've got David Duke just joined. A bigot, a racist a problem. I mean, this is not exactly the people you want in your party. I love it right there. Right there. He says he won't even con- condemn David Duke, for goodness sake. And, and then and then they show three clips of him condemning David Duke. Now, and what, by the way, when he was talking about the party, he wasn't talking about the Republican Party. Um, he was talking about uh, the Reform Party. I think it was the Reform Party. David Duke had joined the Reform Party. Um, I Again... I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories about David Duke, but there's a lot of people out there who think that he's just, uh, he's, he, he's basically being used by, in some counterintelligence operation to demonize uh, different groups, third parties or Republicans and stuff like that. I, I'm not saying that's true. I don't have any evidence for that, but I've heard this theory before. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if in 50 years someone writes, writes a history book about you know, CIA operations or FBI operations, counterintelligence operations uh, in the government somewhere. And it turns out that David Duke was some kind of operative or something like that. But let's get back to these clips. Back in this race because of what happened in Charlottesville. People coming out of the woods carrying torches, their veins bulging. And a young woman gets killed resisting the hate and violence. And the president gets asked to come in and what's he say? He says they're very fine people on both sides. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. And I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups? 
How many times has Trump condemned white supremacy? The white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. Racism is evil, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists. Condemn the evil of anti-Semitism and hate. Our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. Be no tolerance for anti-Semitism in America or for any form of religious or racial hatred or prejudice. Let's never ignore the vile poison of anti-Semitism or those who spread its venomous creed. How many times do I have to reject? I've rejected David Duke, rejected David Duke. Uh, I've rejected the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. From the time I'm five years old, I rejected them. David Duke is saying to his supporters and followers, vote for Donald Trump. White supremacists are saying, vote. do you want those votes? No, I don't want them, and I don't want him to say it. I don't like any group of hate. Hate groups are not for me. You've got David Duke just a bigot, a racist, a problem. David Duke endorsement? Okay. All right. I disavow, okay? Let me be clear again. I condemn the KKK. I condemn all white supremacists. I condemn the Proud Board. A Trump's campaign told CBS News this publication is repulsive and their views do not represent the tens of millions of Americans who are uniting behind our campaign. I'm not looking to repudiate David Duke. When we looked at it and looked at the question, I disavowed David Duke. So I disavowed David Duke all weekend long on Facebook, on Twitter, and obviously it's never enough. I totally disavow the Ku Klux Klan. I totally disavow David Duke, Ku Klux Klan, which obviously I'm going to disavow. You want white supremacists to vote for you? No, I don't. No, not at How many times do I have to reject? How many times? How many times does he have to reject? It's a good question. Love for America requires love for all of its people. 2017. When we open our he hearts to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice, no place for bigotry, and no tolerance for hate. You have repeatedly we, criticized the, the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa. I mean, I could just keep going. I could just keep group. going. I could add more and more to the argument. I mean, this video keeps going for another few minutes. Uh, I mean, it's actually not even halfway over. Um, yeah, Trump has condemned white supremacy and racism and the Ku Klux Klan, and uh, neo-Nazis, and whatever other groups you can think of. That's why at the debate he said, what do you want me to call them? Which group are we talking about? White supremacists? Because, because he's making the point that it's never enough. Because people are always like, well, he didn't, he didn't condemn this person, or he didn't condemn this particular group, even though now he's said it probably you know, 30, 40, 50 times, and you know, it's never enough. They keep asking him. And, and again, the reason is, is because they know that the public is oftentimes so stupid that it doesn't matter what he says. What matters is what the news media repeats over and over again. And just remember that that's, that's absolutely key when it comes to this issue is it doesn't matter what the truth is. It often only matters what is repeated over and over and over again. What is planted in your brain by repetition is what ends up producing the emotional and psychological responses that one of the parties desires from you, okay? And it brings you out to the polls and it fills you with hate for the particular candidate that they want you to oppose and so on. 
It's all about repetition of cliches. I talked about this on yesterday's show, so I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to continue, and we're going to move on to something else. Now, let's move on. Lest you think I'm a Republican or right-leaning because I do criticize the left a lot, and the reason, by the way, is because the left is the left is on kind of the losing side right now. Okay, they don't have the Senate, they don't have the court, they don't have the uh, executive branch, the presidency. So as a result, they're the ones who are fighting the hardest, and what often happens in politics is the losing side pulls out all the stops. They stop, they don't worry about if what they're saying makes sense anymore. They just pull out all the stops and make every argument they can, no matter how illogical or irrational. So the, the left is, is failing in what I would consider to be um, any actual rational discourse. Now, they have some, and I'm going to talk about that. But uh, right now, the Republicans are able to just kind of sit back, take a breather. You know, early on in Trump's presidency, they weren't able to do that because there were these accusations of Russian collusion. There were real legitimate questions that people were worried about, even people on the Republican side. And I thought at that time, my analysis was that Trump would probably, if, if for no other reason, his mouth just getting himself in trouble on Twitter, but also potentially some illegal activity would get in trouble and perhaps really destroy the uh, Republican Party and uh, the Democrats would just take over. But we've seen the opposite thing happen. Uh, Republicans have held on to most of their power. And now I think Trump is going to win in a landslide in the next election. So the Democrats are on the defensive. And as a result, they, they just are not, they don't care if what they say is rational half the time. They're pulling out all the stops and really making every emotional argument they can, which oftentimes when you make emotional arguments, they're illogical arguments and they're in, incorrect and they're lies, they're half-truths, they're illogical and so on. But let me go ahead and critique something on the Republican side. I saw one of the questions being asked of Judge Barrett and I clipped part of it, which was more of a comment than it was a question. And it's from a Republican. I'm going to play this and then critique it. Republicans warned Democrats not to bring up Barrett's faith this time. When you tell somebody that they're too Catholic to be on the bench, when you tell them they're going to be a Catholic judge, not an American judge, that's bigotry. Thank you very much. Okay, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with what he just said. Okay, they want to leave religion out of it. And their basis for that is the idea that religion should not play a role. But there's a difference between someone's personal religion playing a role in whether or not they can be approved for the Supreme Court or for any job anywhere, for that matter. But, and, and there's a difference between that and asking whether or not their personal religious beliefs will influence their, well, in this case, decisions on the Supreme Court. So there's a big difference between not giving someone a job because they happen to be, say, Roman Catholic in her case, and not giving her a job because you believe strongly or she admits that she will use her religious beliefs to make her decisions rather than, in this case, the law of the land, the Constitution. Okay, so in the Supreme Court of the United States, all they're supposed to do is take the laws that are being passed by Congress and so on, and then and executive orders and other things, and... Um, critique those in light of the Constitution and say whether or not they're constitutionally valid. 
the Supreme Court exists as a check on the balance of power from Congress and the executive branch. They don't exist to pass laws themselves or to um, what we call legislate from the bench to try to influence policy in one way or another. Their only job is to ask, is it constitutional or, or not? Basically, that's it. So what happens is um, Congress passes a law, the law goes into effect. Um, it, there is a, a case involving that law that then gets brought to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court gets to decide whether or not that law is in fact constitutional or not, or whether or not it could be said to violate any other laws. So as a result, her personal religious beliefs, were they to play a role in her judgments, would be a problem. That's against the whole purpose behind the creation of the Supreme Court as that balance of power on the executive and the uh, legislative branches of, of uh, government. So when people say, when people conflate or mix these um, two issues together, the, the, the issue that she, she, whether or not she's a Catholic or a Buddhist or whatever should play no role in whether or not she can sit on the Supreme Court. But whether or not her religious beliefs will influence her decisions on the Supreme Court. So again, listen to what he said carefully and see what is he talking about? Is he critiquing or is he uh, yeah, critiquing the Democrats because they're opposed to her because she's Roman Catholic? They're opposed to her just because of her personal religious beliefs? Or is he critiquing them for being worried about the fact that she might allow her religion to influence the way she makes decisions as a justice? When you tell somebody that they're too Catholic to be on the bench, when you tell... Notice that, too Catholic to be on the bench. Well, what do they mean when they say that? What do Democrats mean, too Catholic to be on the bench? Do they mean that she can't be on the bench just because she's Catholic? Or are they using that to imply too Catholic? And of course... He's putting words in their mouth. They never said she's too Catholic to be on the bench. But if they had, what they would be implying by that is that she's actually not going to use the rule of law. She's not going to make her decisions based on the Constitution. She's going to make them based on her own Catholic personal beliefs. That's, that's the critique that Democrats have, and it's a valid critique. going to be a Catholic judge, not an American judge. That's bigotry. It's not bigotry. It's not bigotry because she's not supposed to be a Catholic judge. She's supposed to be a United States Supreme Court justice who interprets the law according to the Constitution, period. She's not supposed to be a Catholic judge. She can be a judge who happens to also be Catholic or Buddhist or Muslim or anything else, but she cannot be a Catholic judge. So what he's doing there is he's actually critiquing something. He's actually critiquing a, a valid argument by Democrats. And, and if he were to hear what I'm saying right now, he would have to agree because what he wants to, what he wants to critique and what he means to say and what Republicans are going to hear him saying is, hey, you're not allowed to tell someone they can't have a job in the government because they're Catholic. And of course, we all agree with that. But that's not what he's critiquing there. What he's critiquing is the Democrat objection that she should not be a Catholic judge. She should not act as a judge in light of her Catholicism, that she has to put that aside and judge according to the Constitution. And that's a totally valid critique. But so Republicans are conflating these two different issues related to her Catholicism in order to 
invalidate the Democrats even bringing it up in order to make it sound as if the Democrats even bringing up her religion is somehow bigotry and hate, which is ridiculous. That is not the case. And it's illogical to think so. So it's an invalid argument on their part, and they shouldn't be using it. All right, now let's move on to something else related to the Supreme Court, uh, Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation, and health care. I think this hearing is a sham. With remarkable unity, Democrats made it clear yesterday they plan to focus on the roughly 20 million Americans who could lose coverage if a 6-3 to three Supreme Court overturns Obamacare. For years, Mar- Okay, that is, did you hear what that reporter said? She said the word could. This is very important. This gets into discussing words and the importance of language. She said the word could. They could lose coverage. Now, this is one of the biggest arguments being made right now against Amy Coney Barrett. And it's the idea that if she sides with the other right-leaning justices, that they could overrule the constitutionality of Obamacare. And then, as a result, millions of people could lose coverage. She said could because it is as yet unproven. And in fact, it's not true. Millions of people aren't. Obamacare, for those who don't know, doesn't provide people insurance. It's not an insurance plan. Obamacare is a list of mandates related to selling and selecting insurance in the United States. It forces people to buy insurance against their will. Otherwise, they pay a fine, an extra fine in their taxes every year for not buying insurance. So it forces people to buy something from a private company without their consent, which I think is inhumane. But that's a personal issue. So it forces people to buy insurance against their consent, which is great for insurance companies, by the way, which is primarily who wrote the bill. It was, it was written by insurance companies. And uh, it's, it also mandated, it had a bunch of different mandates for selling insurance and in hopes of bringing prices down, which it didn't do. In some states, prices went up 500% for insurance. So, I mean, when you start forcing people to buy insurance, the insurance companies, they're going to take advantage of that. Well, they got to buy it. The government's telling them they have to buy it, so let's just raise the prices 80%, 100%, in some cases 500%. So, anyway, that's what happened with Obamacare, and really it was very unpopular. And after, at the end of Obama's presidency, it was extremely unpopular, and that was one of the things that, that Trump ran on. Now, a lot of people say that they're interested in health care. They, they want it to be an issue. And if, for them, it's an issue they're going to vote on. But Democrats take that as, oh, that means people want free health care. But really, when people in polls say that they're interested in health care, it doesn't mean that they want, uh, quote unquote, free health care, universal single-payer single health care. What it means is that they want the issue of health care to be dealt with. And what they want what they think might work best might be free market uh, solutions or it could be more socialist solutions. You know, I can't speak for all of them, but when people say in, in polls that healthcare is an important issue, the assumption made by Democrats is, oh, that, that means they want single-payer uh, Medicaid-for-all type healthcare. But that's not necessarily the case. So Obamacare doesn't provide insurance for anybody. That's not what it does. It just mandates that people buy it and mandates that it's sold in a particular kind of way. Take away Obamacare, and people will still have their insurance. Most of the states, most of the people who take advantage of the cheapest uh, options for health care buy within their state from 
uh, state run, um, what do they call it? I can't remember. They're state programs. But, uh, and so those aren't going to go away. Those aren't going to disappear when they get rid of the mandates in Obamacare. It's just a myth. Not only that, but if you did get rid of those state, let's say the states decided to just abandon their, um, their programs that they use, that most of the people who uh, don't make a lot of money um, uh, uh, buy from in terms of health insurance, if they decided to get rid of those, the free market could offer solutions, and the free market already does. There, there are low-income solutions on the free market that work well. And there are all kinds of, whether for it's health savings accounts to, to uh, uh, small co-ops that exist that help with insurance that are far better solutions. And now they have, I think it's called um, healthcare as a concierge service, something like that. I don't remember exactly how it works, but where you pay your doctor every month, just pay him directly, him or her. And, uh, you know, when you need to have a doctor's visit, uh, they, the doctor's visit is free, you know, or you pay a small copay or something like that. So there are alternatives to traditional health insurance. And even if you didn't have, say, states' health insurance programs, which even getting rid of Obamacare wouldn't get rid of those, which is why their argument's illogical when they say millions of people will lose health insurance, really, health, Obamacare doesn't directly uh, uh, mandate state um, programs, you know, those state programs can still remain in effect. And even if they didn't, people can still go buy insurance on the free market, which is very easy to do. And there's lots of alternatives. I personally think one of the biggest problems with regard to insurance is just education, educating people about all the alternatives there are to health, to traditional health insurance. People think they need to go buy traditional health insurance from Blue Cross Blue Shield or something, when really they have a bunch of alternatives to that. So there's a problem with the argument that people will lose their insurance if uh, Obamacare is uh, overturned at the Supreme Court level. Now, notice that she said could, and she said that because it is not something that's proven. And it may even be something that this, this reporter or whoever wrote the script that she's reading knows very well that it isn't true. So you have to say should or they could. In other words, they're interested in driving home the fear, they want to produce the fear that people could lose insurance, but they know it's not necessarily the case, so they say, could, they could, they might lose insurance. So the reason I bring that up, I caught that earlier and I just had to bring it up as a reminder to pay attention to the words that are being used when you watch when you, the news. When Now, a lot of times people don't care. They're just following the Fox News on the right or CNN on the left, and they're just listening, and they just eat it all up. Don't be like them. Don't be like those people. Pay attention to the words that are being used and think about how you may be being manipulated, please. And speaking of that issue, healthcare, there's a related meme going around from those on the left that uh, we shouldn't be putting a conservative on the court at this time in the middle of a healthcare crisis, the COVID-19 pandemic, because millions of people could lose their insurance. And the implication is that then they, they wouldn't have... COVID-19 coverage. But here's the thing. First of all, a lot of that, a lot of, uh, there's not special, in, there, you can get special insurance for COVID-19, but it's not easy. But anyways, aside from that, everyone's COVID-19 coverage is, um, uh, it's covered. Everyone's COVID-19 treatment, I'm sorry, is covered by the U.S. government already. So 
It's a ridiculous argument. It's just meant to produce fear, but it's not backed up by the facts. All right, now let's move on to something else. Now what I've got for you is just another another little thought. This one is about, uh, 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 okay, this is again something on the left that I saw that just, CNN.com, on Facebook, they have a, an article titled, Trump Continues Dishonesty Bombardment at Pennsylvania Rally. And I just thought, okay, that's just the author's personal opinion in the headline. The headline is just their personal opinion. There's no objective reporting about an event there. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't say, like, Trump gives speech in Pennsylvania or Trump, you know, says X at rally in Pennsylvania. It just says Trump continues dishonesty, dishonesty bombardment at Pennsylvania. First of all, it's a badly written headline, first of all. Secondly, the headline just shows that CNN isn't in, interested in objective journalism anymore. This is not reporting on an event, which is what journalism is supposed to do. It's objective reporting about an event. This is what happened. Instead, and this isn't an opinion article either. It's supposed to be a fact check article, which is supposed to be about facts and objectivity and truth. When instead, the very headline shows that what they're interested in is merely expressing the opinion of the author. And which reminds me, I was going to go through a whole um, list of fact checks at the, from the debate the other night. And I think I still, I think I still might do that, the vice presidential debate from last week. And I should go through this article here and, and check their fact checks. Because here's the thing. A lot of times Trump over-exaggerates and lies. And so fact checks are good, but sometimes the fact checks are very misleading. Uh, sometimes they're just blatantly wrong. So I might go through that later. I'm not sure. All right. Everything you just heard was recorded yesterday, and I held this show over for another day because, wow, the news yesterday picked up so fast. I had been talking about equivocation and definitions and so on. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Senator Hirona critiques Amy Coney Barrett for using the word sexual preference during, um, at some point during her statement to the Senate, to the Judiciary Committee. And Senator Hirona, which, who, by the way, is legitimately one of the, it seems, and I say this, I, I don't want to say this in a disrespectful way, but she is one of the most stupid uh, senators or congresspeople in either the House or the Senate that I've ever really heard in my life. And I really legitimately don't say that uh, in order to just insult her in any way. Uh, I just say it from an objective viewpoint. Uh, she is, to me it seems, not only ignorant, but actually rather stupid, as in having a low IQ, an inability to reason effectively. So anyway, she asked Amy Coney Barrett why Amy used the term sexual preference. Now, I have a few different things to say about this, but let's start with this, and it has to do with equivocation and, and definitions and the importance of words. Shortly after she asked about that, Twitter blew up with um, people on the left talking about how the term sexual preference is uh, inherently offensive to the LGBT community. And then eventually... The uh, Webster Dictionary, the, I think Merriam-Webster, um, changed their definition or changed, um, they added something to the, to the definition of sexual preference in order to say that it's offensive. 
which they hadn't said before. So what you have in, in real time, basically, is dictionaries, online dictionaries, changing their definitions in order to support left-leaning narratives. So what they did, basically, was they probably saw that a lot of people started looking up sexual preference uh, to learn more about it. They noticed a spike in that. They realized uh, this, this issue came up at Amy Coney Barrett's hearing, and they immediately think to themselves, well, we should, uh, we should add to the definition that it's offensive. Um, and that it implies uh, that uh, sexual identity or sexual desire is something that is willful and not, say, genetic. Now, that brings me to my next issue. That's actually not true. To say that someone has a sexual preference does not imply that it's willful um, and not genetic. It's just a statement of the fact that they have a desire or a leaning or an orientation towards one se- sexual Um, practice over another. It doesn't infer why they have that um, desire or why they have that orientation or leaning. It it, it doesn't at all. Someone's sexual preference may very well be genetic, even though actually, technically speaking, so far science has presented no real evidence for that in the sense of uh, a gay gene, so to speak. Uh, Although there are definitely differences uh, in hormonal makeup and so on between those who are uh, gay or straight. That's definitely true. There are differences. But as far as, but that's not to say, there's a large movement of people, by the way, among uh, LGBT people who want to protect the idea that their sexual orientation is their own personal willful preference, that they chose it, that they were not born that way. Believe it or not, there are many among that community who don't want to feel like they are just genetic robots and they want to say, no, I chose this path for myself. I chose this orientation and um, I want to protect that uh, it was my willful decision. I don't want to pretend that I'm a robot, a genetic robot who has no control over my own uh, desires. And whether or not you agree with them or not is irrelevant and I'm not saying I agree with them or not myself. I'm just stating a fact that those people who hold that position uh, do exist. But what's most important here for me with regard to this news story is the fact that Merriam-Webster's dictionary decided they were going to change or add and modify their definition for political reasons after Senator Hironi uh, made this claim. And so we're living, and then, and then shortly after that, we also had the issue with uh, Twitter starting to shut down accounts for the New York Post. And as far as I know, the New York Post account is still shut down. Um, and now even the federal government, today we've learned that a website, the federal government website, which doesn't even contain the documents of the emails between Hunter um, Biden and the uh, Burisma Holdings uh, uh, top executive, those emails and more, and also pictures that were released, those aren't on the government website. But the government website does have, a, does have information on it about the now actual federal investigation into Hunter Biden. But apparently Twitter doesn't want you to know about that, so Twitter is actually now blocking all links to this government website, a federal website, a .gov website. And it's not a political like White House website. It's part of the federal government 
and they are there's information on there about an ongoing investigation. Okay, and 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 this is coming out. They're going to investigate it. Congress is going to investigate this. So ultimately, there's nothing Twitter can do about that. The news is coming out, but they also blocked um, the press, uh, the White House press secretaries. Uh, Twitter accounts, the New York Post, and other Twitter accounts, several other Twitter accounts who attempted to post this information. Now, they gave different reasons, actually, for why those Twitter accounts were blocked. The only one that seems to be, to me, sound and logical, rational, given the circumstances, is the claim that anyone attempting to post a hacked information or directly, and and by this I mean to actually post images of documents that were hacked that could be used in some way to potentially hurt somebody or to dox somebody, for example, that uh, those attempts would be blocked. That makes sense to me. I mean, I can see them wanting to do that. The problem is, is that most of the cases don't include people trying to directly share documents that were hacked. First of all, second of all, secondly, it's these documents are no longer considered just hacked documents. First of all, they weren't hacked. They were pulled off a computer legally, completely legally, and they've been disseminated to press, to investigators, and now to the federal government. So these are just documents now that are out there. Anybody can find them, anybody can see them. They can see who what Hunter's email was and so on. So this information's out there, so it makes no sense for Twitter to try to block it now, except for political reasons. But most of the accounts that were suspended, most of the tweets and, and so on that were blocked, by the way, this is happening on Facebook now too, were not posts directly containing the material. Rather, they were just links to the New York Post article. They were links to the government website that has also been censored. So what we're finding here, and by the way, this is Facebook doing that, and Google probably too, but Facebook and Twitter definitely, full-on censoring a government website with completely legal documented information, important information for reporters to know who are trying to tell this story. You know, they need to go to the website and be able to say, okay, there's an investigation, here's the information, and they can't even do that. Well, I mean, they can do it. They can, they can go, um, but they, they can go to the website themselves directly to the link, but they can't click through Twitter or Facebook, and they can't share that information if they want to post it on Facebook or Twitter. And I'm not even sure it's possible that Facebook and Twitter will be um, uh, censoring articles that are written by third parties and other fourth parties that just link back to articles that contain the link to the federal website or contain the documents that the New York Post is talking about. So, for example, if I post an article on my website that links back to the New York Post, will Twitter note that there's a link to the New York Post article and thus block my article as well? I don't know. It's possible. But they are participating in massive censorship at this point. This is the kind of censorship that we learned about in the book 1984. The only difference right now is that it's private companies doing it in collusion with their, the DNC and the Democratic Party rather than, and, and, and they can try and argue that they're not, but I don't believe it for a minute. When you have the CEOs and the executives at Google having a meeting right after the 2016 election, right after Clinton lost, they had a meeting, they stood up, many of them cried. They said, we cannot let this happen again. We have to do everything in our power to prevent Donald Trump from winning in the next election. 
And what we found is that these big, giant conglomerate organizations, whether it's Google, Facebook, Twitter, and so on, what we found is that over and over again, they've been caught. And I'm not talking about accusations. I'm talking about one um, one researcher who's a prominent, world-renowned researcher in his field. I don't remember his name. And he has done uh, several deep investigations and written peer-reviewed papers on how Google is manipulating their search data in order to manipulate uh, manipulate the vote, basically, to manipulate what people can find, what they can read, what they what knowledge they have, so that it would um, essentially manipulate them to uh, vote Democrat instead of Republican. So this is really happening. There's there's no doubt about it. What's going on? These tech giants who overtly lean left are not at all interested in you voting for Trump. And I'm not either, by the way. I'm not here to support Trump. That's not my point. But when I see that what we've read about in 1984 and other books about how governments and private companies will want to control what information you can read and will take any information being written, being propagated anywhere and put it into the quote-unquote memory hole, put it into the black hole where you'll never see it to bury it, whether it's Facebook, Facebook burying the articles from the New York Post or anyone linking to them or whatever it is, this is the real kind of dangerous censorship we have that even if we have a First Amendment and a freedom of speech, because we have these media giants who have virtual monopolies in their field, uh, we they control so much information, so much of the information, and they control whether or not you see it, that it's so easy for them to manipulate the masses. And what's interesting is that the very thing they tried to blame Russia for, which really didn't happen on a large scale, a private Russian company bought Facebook ads for the 2016 election, and it, was, it wasn't even a large group of ads compared to what uh, Hillary Clinton or Trump were purchasing at the time. But uh, a private Russian company with tenuous links to the Russian government purchased Facebook ads. Well, here we have Facebook themselves bearing important information about Hunter Biden using his father, the vice president of the United States at the time, to make himself $80,000 a month. He was selling his father's influence. Okay. And a lot of that had to do with the oil pipelines in the region. Not only that, you have them bearing that information on Twitter. You have them shutting down accounts that uh, link to a federal government website. So it's the, the amount of censorship that we're talking about here is way out of control compared to what you know the Russians supposedly did. And when I say the Russians, I mean the government, because the government wasn't directly involved in placing those ads. This is what a lot of people don't understand. They just think like the federal government of Russia, like Vladimir Putin himself was in front of his computer buying Russian ad, or buying ads on Facebook. That's not what was happening. Private company, tenuously linked to someone in the Russian government, was buying ads on Facebook. And the influence that that had, when all is said and done, was virtually none. It didn't buy Trump votes. But now we have Facebook themselves, not just a private company buying ads on Facebook, but Facebook themselves and Twitter, and probably Google too, but I haven't looked into it yet, all censoring important information that could help voters decide whether or not Joe Biden is a candidate who is worth their vote. It's that simple, really. And I'd be saying the same thing if it was uh, them blocking uh, 
news related to Trump. But that just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. At least uh, not lately that I can remember. So anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. What is just interesting to me because I've been talking about equivocation. Next thing I know, dictionaries are changing their definitions and people are being shut down, censored for posting news media articles. And uh, I mean, mainstream news media from the New York Post, which is one of the largest publishers in the world of news. Uh, and to me, it's just it's just ridiculous. So after I saw what was happening last night, I, I, t- I, I didn't want to record anymore. For me, I'm, I'm in a different time zone than I'm not in the U.S. So for me, it, it was uh, I was kind of like watching what was going on and thinking about, OK, maybe I just I'll add something to the show and release it tomorrow. So I decided to do that. And, you know, before I leave this topic, I, I, I want to focus more on solutions. A lot of people who analyze news media don't really talk about solutions. It's, the critique is obvious here. All I wanted to do was bring this up for anyone who hasn't heard it, but I'm sure everyone has at this point, that they're censoring the right. Uh, and not just the right, they're censoring the government. The government is now investigating Hunter Biden, and they don't want you to know about it. That's ridiculous, right? Here's what you need to do. We need to continue to share this information with people because it's important that people know, not for political reasons, not not to get votes or to convince people that one party is better than the other. What's important is that we educate people about how they're being manipulated, how they're being lied to, not just overtly, but through omission, right? So here's what you do. If you can't share the New York Post article, you take an image capture of it, you take a screen capture of it, and you share that on Facebook, and you write a post about it. You do anything you can to get the information out there in a way that Facebook isn't going to notice, which means you can't share links directly to some government pages or you know, certain articles. And, and honestly, I believe that they try to bury a lot more than they admit to. I, I believe that they, they bury a lot of... When you look at YouTubers and when you, when you look at a lot of... Um, websites out there that are on the right those tend to be the ones those tend to be the ones that get buried they have seen over the last several months their traffic on certain articles and stuff uh, go way down that can only happen if facebook and twitter are purposefully shadow banning and burying those stories so the best thing to do and this is why sometimes i don't share stories directly i don't share them from uh, a particular, and I'm not even talking about the right. I do this a lot on CNN too. Um, I will not share the story directly from CNN's Facebook page. I don't use the share button. I take an image capture and then I will just write a short post about it. Uh, sometimes I will share the link to it as well. Sometimes I do that in the comments. So it, it depends. And I do this because I, I try to get around Facebook bearing the the uh, the number of people or limiting the number of people who can see my post about a certain topic or a certain news article or link. And sometimes you have to find ways around it. So do that. Think about what you're doing. Think about the links you put in your posts. Think about not using the share button as much. The downside to that is that then the uh, the page that you're sharing their information, if you don't use the share button, they'll never know that you shared it, and so they're not going to know what their reach really is, but that's okay. It's not really that important. What's important is that information that is, uh, there's an attempt to 
bury or censor gets gets out there. Now, I say that I obviously am. I, I don't want to see f- fake news and false information uh, propagated, obviously. But I would rather err on the side of free speech and people being able to say what it is they believe. If they believe the earth's flat, whatever, go ahead, throw that information out there too. But freedom of speech is so important that it's better to protect it and it's, it's better to find ways to continue to say whatever you want to say, even if it is crazy and stupid, because a lot of what will get out there is the stuff that's being covered up. And uh, I, I think, in fact, mostly workarounds are going to work to get information out there that's being covered up or buried or censored. So find ways around these tech companies and their social media, uh, you know, censorship and get that information out there, whatever it is. So as I'm recording this, I'm taking a look at uh, some news websites and I'm finding that the news and information that is about to come out about Hunter Biden with these uh, leaked emails and text messages, and there are thousands, it's going to be pretty big. Uh, my understanding is that there were as many as 10,000 or more texts and emails on his computer that they had. So this, this could be massive. I, I'm just looking at a news story here where they have a text message where Hunter Biden said that it was expected that... Um, Various members of Biden's family were going to give half of their money back to their father. Um, now it's kind of interesting. I don't know. Hunter Biden, I'm sorry, Joe Biden hasn't retired yet, and I'm surprised he didn't. But the I was going to say, you know, after he retired, it would be nice for him to get a lot of the money that he helped a lot of these people earn. His, his brother, um, I think it was his niece, uh, and then uh, his his son, they earned a lot of money using Joe Biden's name, really. And some people might say that's not true, but I mean, it's pretty obvious that his son was in uh, working for Burisma on their board and was in Ukraine and China as well as Russia uh, because of his father. Um, there's no, he didn't have a background in oil. He did have a background sitting on uh, boards. Uh, he was, uh, I think, a lawyer at one time or worked at a law firm at least. So, you know, it's not as though it's completely out of the question for him to sit on the board of a company. But a board of a company in Ukraine, uh, while his dad was uh, the lead person for Ukraine in the White House, it's, you know, it's too suspect, obviously. And we we know that even people on the left uh, are not very happy about it and are, you know, critical of it because even the news media is being critical and has been over the last year or so in interviews with both Hunter and Joe talking about, hey, you know, it does look bad. It does look like it's nepotism, you know? And as, by the way, I know if you're on the left and you're listening to this, you may be thinking, yeah, well, Trump is nepotistic too. Yeah, he is. Okay, absolutely. You don't have any argument with me on that issue, for sure. And and I, and I don't even have necessarily... um. I don't actually have a moral problem with nepotism myself. So this is me talking about the reporting on this issue, not about the morality of the issue in my own opinion, because my own opinion is actually I don't, I don't care about nepotism. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, most, most of the complaints about nepotism, 
most of the complaints about Joe Biden helping out Hunter Biden and so on are from people who are just jealous, to be honest with you. They just don't like the idea of other people having it easy in life while they have it more difficult. I'm sorry, but it's true. So if Trump wants to bring his daughter and son into the White House and so on and give them leadership roles, that's up to him. And then the, the people of the country can vote him out if they don't like it. Do I think it's illegal? Do I think it's unethical? No, I don't think it's inherently unethical. I, I personally don't have a problem with it. If I find out or found out there was massive corruption, then I would have a, a big problem with it for sure. Do I think that the Trump family is probably making some money in some way off of Trump being president? I think without a doubt. I don't think they're stupid. I think they definitely... They know the political situations better than anybody, so they could very likely direct their money, investments, and um, I guess business opportunities in directions that would take advantage of that. And that happens all the time in Congress. And uh, not that that's to say whether or not it's justified or not, but certainly I think what's happening here with Joe Biden and his family making a lot of money off of Joe's influence that kind of thing happens in the Trump family. It happens in the Cruz family. It happens in you know every Schumer family, the Pelosi family. All of these families have people around them who've made a lot of money. And it's very likely, and even they themselves as politicians have made a lot of money. And it's very likely that they would not have made that money had there not been some influence uh, due to their you know family members in government. So anyhow... You're going to hear a lot of information coming out about this, including this new, um, well, you know, people are calling it a bombshell, you know. It's, so you're going to have lots of bombshells. Who knows? Dozens, hundreds. And uh, the latest one is that um, in a tweet, it was said that this is Hunter Biden. He said, I love you all. I love all of you, but I don't receive any respect. And that's fine, I guess. Works for you, apparently. I hope you all can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard, but don't worry. Unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary. Well, that's interesting. Interesting tweet. Not tweet. Um, a message. That was a private message sent out from Hunter. So apparently he felt like he had been responsible for much of the family's wealth for 30 years, which... I don't know if that makes any sense. Or maybe he's writing to uh, some people in his direct family. But he does say that he won't um, act like pop and make you give me half your salary. Okay. All right, man. So what's going to happen here? How is this going to affect the election? Are people going to care about this with two weeks left until most of the uh, country votes? No, it's not going to change the election. It's not going to have much of an effect. People already know who they're voting for, and Trump is probably going to win, I think, in a landslide, but we will see. But it's interesting to follow this information, and I love leaks. I love transparency. I love hacking. I love it when people release all kinds of documents, whether it's government or whether it's private. I love to learn uh, what's really going on, especially when it opens up the curtain and you get to look behind the scenes. I love it. So I'm always open to this kind of stuff. And let's be honest, uh, Democrats are usually always open to it when it's a leak of something from the Republicans. And Republicans are usually open to it when it's a leak from something 
related to the Democrats. Let's be honest. I love it when either of them get leaked and hacked because I'm not either. So I have no, I have no dog in the hunt. So just one additional note with regard to these leaked emails and messages from Hunter's uh, old computer. I just want to let you know a lot of more, a lot more information is going to be coming out. And it looks like some of that is going to include money laundering, which I already knew about because that was part of the Ukrainian investigation. Uh, there was apparently money laundering going on in order to hide the money that Joe would have otherwise received. Joe can't just have $100 million show up in his bank account, you know, in such a short period of time, especially since he's really only worth on the books $9 million in the U.S. But so that what they did was they laundered a bunch of money, it looks like. That's, that's the claim, and that should be coming out, more detailed information on that. Right now, it's just a claim being made. Uh, I don't. I didn't see any evidence for it in terms of what I read, not yet. But I already, uh, I already assumed this to be the case, given the investigation that I read about uh, in Ukraine. They had been saying that Hunter had been uh, laundering money, uh, large sums of money, already. So I assume a lot of that is, hey, let's put this money in some foreign accounts for the time being until I retire. Then Biden retires, and he can. Uh, he can take advantage of the, you know, extra 50, $100 million that they have. I don't know how much it would be, but so anyway, which makes me wonder why he hasn't retired yet. If I had that kind of money, would I try to become president? Probably not. Maybe he does really care. Maybe he really is doing it from his heart. I really don't know. I can't tell you. I don't know what his heart is. So one more thing before I stop talking about this issue, I'm sure I will be talking about it more in the future, is that... Apparently, Business Insider has said, that's uh, the magazine, Business Insider, in one of their articles, they said the FBI agent who signed off on the warrant for Hunter's hard drive works the child porn division. So it is possible that it was being investigated for having child porn on it. And one reporter who apparently claims to have uh, seen the behind the scenes, had a behind the scenes look at Hunter Biden's hard drive and, and what was on there, she said, and she's from One American News Network, by the way, uh, Chanel Rion. She said it's all drugs, underage obsessions, and power deals. And it says druggy Hunter makes Anthony Weiner's down under selfie addiction look normal. So it's really quite possible that this could destroy the Biden family for years to come. Will it stop him from becoming president? It remains to be seen. See, the problem, and this is one of my main complaints, is that, one, most people who, don't, who vote don't pay attention to, to the news cycle. They don't pay attention to these, uh, most of the, especially when the news media and social media try to bury it. So this is being buried by CNN and MSNBC. They're not talking about it. And it's being buried on social media. So will the voters really ever find out about this? I think many of them will. I think maybe at least the Republicans and conservatives will for sure. So that's half the country. And some people on the left will hear about it, but they won't fully understand it. And they will prob probably just assume that it's a conspiracy theory and they'll vote for Biden anyway, especially if they, if they hate Trump. There's no other option for them really than to vote for Biden. So will it have an effect with, what, what are we, two weeks out from the election? Is it going to have an effect? No. I, I don't think it's going to have a big effect. Should it have an effect? Yeah. Is it a big deal? 
To a certain degree, it is. I mean, Hunter Biden seems to be a, a wreck. Does that mean that Joe Biden is a wreck? No, that's, that's not logical to say. His child may be a complete disaster. That doesn't mean he is. And let's say that his son did make a lot of money. And let's say that his son did get that job at Burisma, did get a bunch of money from China and from the wife of the mayor of Russia. Uh, and let's say that a lot of that money he's going to give back to his father, Joe, after he retires. None of that really, in and of itself, disqualifies Joe Biden from being from being a president, from being a good president even. So one can't make the argument that he shouldn't be president or he would be a bad president. Does it, does it make him look like um, probably not the best person? Yeah, it, there, but Trump has a lot of that too. Trump has a lot of things in his past that don't make him seem like the best kind of person. Some of his deals weren't good. You know, some of, um, some of his business dealings weren't over above board all the time, you know? So it's not always, it's easy for the voters to overlook some of that stuff and say, yeah, but can he do a good job as president? You know, look at Trump, look at, um, look at when Democrats look at Bill Clinton, they overlook Monica Lewinsky. When, when Republicans look at Trump, they often overlook the fact that he really has, I mean, look at Stormy Daniels and his past with women and the things he said. They overlooked that because they said it's not directly related to him being president. And one could make the same argument with regard to this issue. It doesn't necessarily follow. You don't have to conclude logically that because Hunter Biden is a wreck and a mess and his dad tried to help him out to get him a job and fired the prosecutor who would was investigating him in Ukraine and so on. That doesn't all necessarily mean that Biden wouldn't be a good president and wouldn't uh, work the best he could and wouldn't be an honest, you know, person trying to actually help the country. You know, it doesn't mean that he would just be completely corrupt. Now, do I think he probably is corrupt in many ways? Yes, I do. So... I'm just saying that that's my instinct and that's what the evidence leads me to believe. But I also have a very cynical look compared to most people and a very cynical outlook when it comes to politics. But to say that any of this is like a slam dunk case that Joe Biden is corrupt, again, nepotism, giving your children jobs, uh, them making a lot of money while you're president, that doesn't necessarily... That's not like necessarily, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, unethical. Look at Trump. Trump has both two of his children working for him directly, and they are making money. They're companies, the Trump companies, and their various companies that they have in their subsidiaries, they're making money. you know. And if you think that they're not using any of their knowledge of the world at, that they are receiving while in office and in those positions to help them make money, well, that's absurd. That's just absurd to think. So I, you know, Republicans and Democrats both participate in the same kind of nepotism and granted Hunter, look at Hunter's life. He definitely seems a little worse off than Trump's children. You know, I mean, looks like he's a cocaine addict and, uh, probably into child porn and uh, prostitution and probably, I guess the rumor is out of Russia that he did purchase a sex slave 
So, yeah, it looks like, I mean, you don't hear those same kinds of things about Trump's children, you know, those same accusations. So if I had to trust one family over the other, I think, honestly, I would probably say I trust Trump and his family a little bit more to actually not be corrupt and to, to care about what they're doing while working in government than I would Biden. So I'll leave it at that. One more thought regarding this uh, story is that there's an interesting article at the uh, Big League Politics where they talk about how this information from Biden, Hunter Biden, taken from his computer, was not hacked. Uh, what happened was he took his MacBook into uh, a repair store and they were able, he didn't take it to an Apple store. It was a third-party repair store. And what happened was there's, the, he signed a paperwork that said equipment left with the store owner after 90 days of notification of completed services will be treated as abandoned and you agree to hold store owner harmless for any damage uh, for loss of property. So what happened was he never came back in to pick it up. So the ownership was transferred to the owner of the store legally. So this information was not in any way illegally hacked or anything like that. Basically, Hunter either forgot his laptop or decided, you know what, maybe it's time the world know I'm going to leave my laptop there for 90 days with uh, 10,000 emails and messages on it. So when Twitter says that they want to block uh, any stories mentioning these messages, these emails, on the basis that they were hacked information that could somehow be dangerous, it's actually technically incorrect. And maybe they have to rethink their policy on that or rethink, not their policy per se, but how they're um, applying that policy in this case. Because the fact is, these materials were not hacked. They were given up willingly by Hunter Biden who transferred ownership of his Mac and all the contents therein to uh, this other third party. Now, I'm going to end the show today there because I do not have the energy to talk more about the irrational, illogical issues taking place in politics, the kinds of arguments that are being made by politicians and by the press and talk about their, discuss their uh, logically fallacious premises and so on. I just don't have the energy for it. I've already done enough over an hour long. And then later today, later tonight at my time, early in the morning, U.S. time in the evening, I will grab some more clips and I want to focus a lot more on um, logic checks the next couple days on both the left and the right. Instead of fact checks, logic checks. That's what I'm calling them. So I'll be back with some more logic checks later today or tomorrow. And like I always say, go out in the world and find something true, something good, something beautiful to focus on because you're not going to find it in politics. Peace.